Amen. Be seated, please. <coughs> so we have two passages of Scripture, and uh, let's reverse it. Let's read uh, 2 Corinthians 11 first, and then we'll read Psalm 46. Now, uh, I'm preaching this morning on uh, change. And I want, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about all that he has endured in his life. And I want you to see as we go through here the changing, the changing things that happened in this fellow's life. Okay? And the things that were that were going on, and uh, uh, even the and then the blessing that God put upon him, and then his attitude, the attitude that he had as a result of all these things. All right. So this is a lengthy portion of Scripture, but it's a good illustration of what he endured, the changing seasons of his life, how God blessed him, and then after God blessed him. God put a trial on him that and and God refused to take it away, but he used it for good. And so there's great lessons here for us. So we're going to pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in the middle of verse 21. But in whatever respect, I'm chapter 11, uh, verse 21. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In the far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in dangers of death, five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been a foreign journey in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches who is weak without me being weak who is led into sin without my intense concern if i have to boast i'll boast on what pertains to my weakness the god and father of the lord jesus he who is blessed forever knows that i'm not lying in damascus the ethnarch under artemis the king was guarding the city of the damascus damascus scenes in order to seize me and i was let down a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out those, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into the paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast. And on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weakness. For I do not. For if I do wish to boast, I will not 
be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me and hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And the Lord did not say, or Paul did not say, if you take this away. But what did he say? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And then we go over to Psalm 46. And this morning, I'm not going to do an exposition of this psalm. I'm going to make reference to this psalm, but it's, I'm not doing an exposition of this psalm. I'm using this psalm as a jumping-off place to teach on a subject, okay? So it's a topical sermon, uh, and uh, you can report me to anybody that thinks you should never do this, but it is a topical sermon, and, uh, and I don't have a problem preaching them. <clears throat> and um, and that's but I'll still make reference to this text, okay? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you this morning for your word, and we pray that you would be honored as we look into it. Be honored in our thinking, be honored in our application, be honored in what is said, and benefit your people. We give you praise for your providence and for your sovereignty. And Lord, as we study the truths from your word, we pray, Lord, that you would arm us to live for you in your world with wisdom and knowledge and power and strength. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.
So this morning I want us to study, I want us to uh, look at the subject of change and how we are to trust God in change and how God wants us or God tells us that we should understand change and how we should respond to it. We know that change comes to all of our lives and we know that uh, it's something that we live under from time to time. Maybe some people live lives where there seems to be little change. Others of us live lives and we are never, we are surprised every week for about different things that happen. With things that do change, we wonder how it is that we're supposed to cope. How are we supposed to respond to the change that comes to our lives or in our world? We see change in culture. We have a much more violent country, a much more violent culture now in the United States than, say, we had, what, 25 years ago. Things have changed. We have a lot more uh, information that is flowing and a lot more, uh, a lot different life that we live now than what we had in the past. Change has been with us in a, in a, a big way. And then in the church, we've seen change in the church, you can read, uh, you can read studies on well, what people confess now and how many Christians believe this particular doctor now as opposed to 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And then on a local level, we can see change ourselves. Even in the beginning of this church, you know, how we went from a Bible study to Sunday evening service and then Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And we've seen us go from place to place doing different things and stuff like that and so we have uh, we have been under change as well and now we've gotten to the point of calling a pastor and and we still anticipate more change and when a pastor comes we will be under uh, there'll be change for him and his family and change for us for all of us to get used to and this is Nothing that's bad. This is something that is good. Change is good. I want to deal this morning with what we understand about when change is bad, but I also want us to have an understanding of change so that we're not afraid of it, so that we even desire it in a very positive way, and that we know how to respond to it even when change occurs and we're not happy with it. So, you and I, we read a while ago the, about the Apostle Paul. All these things that were happening to him, his imprisonments, his shipwreck, his floating in the, in the in deep night and day, wondering whether his life is going to be spared, his being beaten, his being rejected by his own people, rejected by uh, the non-Jewish governmental authorities and others. All these things involved a change in his life and how did he respond and how did he how are we to respond to um, to things in our lives sometimes we can get our nose bent out of shape over the coffee being cold or uh, something not having enough salt on it or something like that when in reality uh, there are far greater things that should concern us and should be a concern to us if you look again at Psalm 46, you see that Psalm 46 considers the providence of God and it considers 
it, the, the message here is that God is with us. The message is a strong and positive message that we have no reason to fear. And it's almost like something cataclysmic could happen. And even though something cataclysmic could happen, nevertheless, God is with us and we have no cause to fear. So Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now look at the circumstances. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. In other words, the... uh, writer is here saying all these things, these, these monumental things that could happen in the world, even if they should happen, what will the church of Jesus Christ do? Verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And so the point is that despite all these things that could happen, nevertheless, God comes by His Spirit. God comes by His power. And He is like a river that, and streams that would nourish and take care of a city and make it fruitful and satisfy its thirst and its need for water. He is one who will protect and care for His people. All right, the first thing that we would consider in regard to change is the reality of it. Change is inevitable. Change is a part of life. If you'll look, uh, or you can look to it, or I can read it to you, but in, uh, in the <coughs> third chapter of Ecclesiastes, we're told about the changes that come to us in life and the seasons of life. This is the reality of change that you and I live with and others live with. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Some of us read that and we think of times in our lives when we've been doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. But anyway, this Ecclesiastes shows us that there are times or seasons and all these things involve change. This is true of Christianity, this is true of what God has been doing in history. We need to realize that even though God doesn't change, and we've been studying this in Sunday school and we or this morning, and we 
We'll see that here in just a minute as well. Nevertheless, God has built into His world change. And God is for change. God is not opposed to change. It's a part of what He wants for His world. We think about what is called progressive theology. We see God developing His plan through Genesis and through Exodus and through Joshua. A series of change of events, one after another. We see the change in the developments of the covenants. His covenant with Noah to uh, preserve life. And then His covenant with Abraham with all the promises. And then His covenant with Moses, with the law. And then his covenant with David and kingship as God adds things to what he has already given. Consider the changes that come in the life of Christ, the things that relate, if you look at the things surrounding his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his kingdom. You could take time this afternoon just to read in the gospel and meditate on the changes that were experienced and the changes that came to his people. The disciples anticipated something different entirely from what Christ did. In fact, Christ was always doing unexpected things. He was always bringing about change. He would go into the synagogue where he knew people were going to be upset with him if he healed on the Sabbath, and he would purposely go ahead and heal knowing they would get upset. He challenged people in their sin. Look at the sacraments. In the Old Testament, we had circumcision. Now we find, now we have baptism. In the Old Testament, we had the Passover. Now we have the Lord's Supper. In the Old Testament, we had the seventh day as the day of the Sabbath. Now in the New Testament, we have what the Christians call the Lord's Day, what the Apostle John called the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath, the first day of of the week. In the Old Testament, God's people are known as Israel. The New Testament, His church is the Israel. We are all sons of Abraham, as Paul says. Jerusalem, the city of God that you see, this literal city in the Old Testament, and so many prophecies pertaining to it. How could these prophecies be fulfilled today? They are fulfilled in what Jesus told the woman at the well that God is looking for His people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And wherever His Jerusalem is, is where His people are worshiping Him. And that's right here this morning. That's the change that was brought about. Even events involving sin, like the betrayal and the crucifixion of Christ, the, the betrayal of Jesus was foreordained by God. The, 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 the crucifixion of Christ was foreordained by God. And then Peter, preaching at Pentecost, tells the people who committed that sin that they needed to repent and that they were guilty of that sin. The change comes not just in the big things, but the small things. And change comes in things that are good and that are bad. And the reality is that we experience change too. We get a new house, a new job, a new baby is born, someone dies, children grow up and marry and move, we get older, our health changes, our relationship changes. Change is inevitable, it's a part of life for us as individuals, as families, as a culture, and in our churches. 
Now, the second point I would address is that the importance of understanding change from a Christian perspective. I mentioned this earlier, that we know that God does not change. In Malachi we read, Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages. The widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So God doesn't change. And we know that liberalism has said that God, they talk about, liberalism talks about the God of the Old Testament as opposed to the God of the New Testament. We know that that is false. We know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The 102nd Psalm says, Of old thou didst found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Even they will perish, but thou dost endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. Thou wilt change them, and they will be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. So God does not change, though in other ways change is all around us and change is in our lives. And if things then change, we are to understand it from a Christian perspective. In other words, because change is built into God's world, we must understand it through God's eyes. We take God's word and we know that we're to respond to things in God's way. Just like a while ago I mentioned we were reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about uh, or uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 about the people grumbling. They were not the things changed in the wilderness. They went without food, they went without water. They were to cry out to the Lord for mercy. They were to be thankful to him, not grumbling against him. So the first point that we would understand in trying to make a practical application of this is that change is not something we embrace so much as we use God's sovereignty and providence to understand it. Use God's sovereignty and providence to understand it. We don't just say as Christians change happens. What we say as Christians is that God is working out His purposes. He's working out his purposes in small things that happen and in the big picture of world events. Things are happening for a reason, for a purpose. Things are happening as a consequence of sin, but still God is working out his plan. Things happen as a result of answers to prayer, but God is still working out his plan. There are events that we cannot explain, but God is still working out His providence. That's what we confessed a while ago. And in Psalm 46, that's what we read in verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. You might say, well, He's not doing that right now in Ukraine. Everything's war. It doesn't mean that war doesn't go on. It's just saying that God is working out His purposes even in war and they do come to an end eventually 
as he's brought them to an end in history. The second application here is that Christians are not to be fearful in regard to change. We are not to be fearful. This is, a, this is hard for us, but if there's one message, if there's one note, well, there are a lot of notes that God keeps hitting in His Word, but there's one note that God is always hitting in, his, in the Scriptures, and that is that we are not to be a people who are afraid. In Psalm 46, the second verse, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. These are pretty big things to happen. These are pretty big. Though the earth should change and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. The psalmist is talking about a cataclysmic event, maybe symbolic of another country's invasion, maybe simply the psalmist's imagination of a worst-case event in nature. And what he's saying is that even though this happens, we will not fear. This is what you read about in Habakkuk. In Habakkuk, when God showed Habakkuk the nation that was going to come against Israel to destroy them, Habakkuk was saying, okay, whatever, whatever, God, I'll trust you. I'll, whatever, the crops don't come in, everything falls apart, I'm going to trust you. So change throws some of us into a real tailspin. Our schedules are interrupted, our plans are altered, something has to be postponed, something has to be canceled, our routines are interrupted. I was not a happy camper this week when I found out when this meeting was going to go on. I was, uh, okay, you know, I'm supposed to be walking around smiling and accepting everything. But I, to me, it wasn't the good thing, but I, I had to submit. And all of us do too. And we can't be complainers. We submit to the brethren and we, oh, we do what we're supposed to do. And that's, that's what God teaches us in his word. We accept his will and we accept his providence. But all of us like to be in control. We like to play it safe. We fear the unknown. And some of us have very active imaginations. We not only fear the unknown, we can take a thought in seed form, and by the end of the day, we have pretty much caused the world to come to an end. Or at least that's what our spouse or others think who know us. Why? Because we have very fertile minds to create and to feed upon anxiety and things like that. We like to be in control. We like to take, we like to control what goes on in life. It's just normal for all of us. And so change happens, and sometimes it can be a real problem. But every situation, what we must do is we must bring God's truth to bear upon that situation. When you and I, in the small things of life, in the big things of life, when we experience disappointment, our our uh, plan, our way to handle that is to use the providence of God and the counsel of His Word to help us in our response. Now, the third thing is that change itself can be bad. Change can be bad. It can be for the worse. And I have there a passage of Scripture from Romans 1, 18 through 27. 
as an illustration of where people gave up on God. Instead of worshiping God, instead of seeing that there is a creator, they started worshiping the creation. That's changed for bad. At that, those verses also illustrate that even though God gave marriage to men and women as husband and wife, they exchanged their view of marriage and they lusted after men after men, women after women. Here is change that can be bad or change for the worse in individual lives or in a culture. There can be other kinds of change that can be, as you and I see it, for the worse. We go to the grocery store now, we see empty shelves. We go to buy gas, we see a much higher price. We do the checkout at the grocery store, we see even even higher price. We have to adjust, we become creative in how we spend and what we do, and maybe we change our budget and other things like that. There could be worse consequences of sin, and even those things, even the things like what we're going through now as a culture, these things are rooted in sin. These things are rooted in a mismanagement of money and an exchange of an understanding of what God has revealed in His Word for economic prosperity and for commerce and in exchange for men's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. And we're just we're realizing the fruit of it. It is change for the worse. Then there's natural disasters. We know that floods and fires and tornadoes were entering hurricane season and we start watching the weather maps for that and other things that happen that seem to be so hard. So what shall we do in these cases? Well, the first thing we will do is we'll recognize God's sovereignty. You and I do not live in a world of chance. Even when we do something wrong and even when we suffer the consequences for it, we realize that it's still in the plan of God and good can come from it. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. You fall into sin and you're broken over your sin and you are grieved that you have grieved God in your sin after He has loved you so much? Well, what good can come of that? Well, maybe you won't be so critical of other people when they sin. Maybe you'll be a little bit more understanding when they sin after the manner you did or when they sin in another manner. When, because all of us have different weaknesses. We're not all the same. That doesn't mean the sin is excused. It doesn't mean it's not wrong. It doesn't need, mean it doesn't need to come to Christ for cleansing. No. It doesn't mean it, needs to be, it doesn't need to be repented of. No, it needs all those things. But there is still good that can come from the sin that we commit or other things that happen that we would judge as being bad. The second thing is that where we are, that's where we work from. Where you are, you work from there. Where you are, you work from there. Don't sit around complaining about everything not being the way you want it to be, but accept where things are and work from there. That's what we do. That's, that's, that's what we do. Um, 
In the book God to Great, Collins talks about the Stockdale principle. Anybody ever heard of the Stockdale principle anyway? So Stockdale was the guy who was in the prison in Vietnam. And he developed the theory that everybody who uh, wanted to get out at New Year's or will be out by Easter or will be out by the 4th of July, those people had, uh, those people, and this is also in the book, uh, oh, I can't think of it, but anyways, in, uh, that when you have a, a deadline like that, you probably won't, you're going to be discouraged. And those people usually will die sooner. I'm getting two books mixed up here, but Stockdale's prophecy, Stockdale's principle was that you keep hope alive to get out of the prison, but you don't, and you accept everything being as bad as it is, but you keep hope alive and you work from that position. And you don't, uh, you don't have unreasonable expectations or anything like that. And that's what we have to do too. We accept where we are and then we work from where we are when tragedy strikes when a hurricane hits, when we lose our job, when we uh, have financial difficulties, we work from there, from where we are. And then those unpleasant times can be a great time of help to us. And you say, well, I don't know how in the world anything like that could be a great help to us. Well, we just read about the Apostle Paul. God gave him a glimpse of heaven and God knew that the Apostle Paul had a problem with pride. And so God said, I'm going to give you a thorn in the flesh. And Paul says, I'm going to pray about this mess. And so he prayed about it. And he prayed about it again. And he prayed about it again. And he comes to the conclusion, God says, ain't going to take it away, Paul. you got a problem with your pride. And so you're going to have to deal with this thing. And so he said, hey, this is okay. This is okay because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Instead of depending upon Paul and strutting around like I got it all together, I'll trust in the Lord. When I am weak, then I'm strong. And that's the same thing the Lord does with us. He humbles us to where we'll trust in Him. You know, you look on social media sometime and you'll see people quoting this verse from Jeremiah 29, 11, Okay? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you know how the context that that verse is always quoted in? It's always quoted in the context that good things are going to happen that we like. And yet it can also apply to times when bad things happen, but that will also be good for us. Jerry Bridges writes, For most of us there are many seemingly adverse details of our lives that will not be changed regardless of our efforts or our prayers. They are simply part of God's plan for us. In these situations, we need to take comfort from the words of God to the Jewish captives in Babylon when he said to Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then Bridges writes, and this is a great book. You're going through a trial... If you've got the courage enough, this is one great book to read. But it is, it, it, boy, it meets you where you are. Trusting God even when life hurts. He goes on to say, Although those words were given by God to a specific group of people, the captives, they reveal the heart of God for all His children. 
Just as he planned only good for the captives, so he plans only good for you and me. The plan God ordained for you and wrote down in his book even before you were born is a good plan. It is a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. I readily acknowledge there are many aspects of his plan for each of us that do seem harmful and do seem calculated to take away hope. But here again we are called upon to walk by faith, to trust God in the face of these adversities that will not go away. Consider the life and ministry of Christ. Consider all the things that happened. I mean, what happened when he died? When, when Christ died, the disciples want to go fishing. They've given up hope. We thought he was going to be king. And yet it was all in the plan of God. It was all in the purposes of God. The final point is that our goal is to work for change that is good. Our goal is to work for change that is good. You know when change began? The change began at God's creation. And change was at God's creation. Listen to what God commanded of Adam and Eve and what He commands of you and me today. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This was God calling us to work for change. The psalmist says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Meaning, we want to see change in the world. We want to see change in our families, in our churches, in our personal lives. What does Paul say in Philippians about you and me? For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you are one of those people who says to yourself, the good old days are the good old days, and I'm happy enough with those then you are acting in opposition to the will and the plan of God. We do not want to return to the good old days. We want to see better days than we've ever seen before. We want to see better days, not the good old days. We want to see us growing in grace and more godly and more holy and the church transformed. We haven't arrived at all that we can be as individuals, at church, in worship, ministry, relationships, and everything else. We ought to be asking ourselves, what can we do to improve our lives, improve our family life, improve our personal lives, improve our relationships? We ought to be, are you asking those questions about what you can do to improve or have you and I, do we think we have arrived? I remember an elder in a church I used to pastor and I would talk to him about change and I would say, we need to ask the question about what can we do to improve worship? How can we make our worship better? 
And it scared him to death. It scared him to death. Why? Because he thought we were doing everything right. We were doing everything right already. Let's don't even ask that question. But we ought to be asking that question. Because no one in this room has arrived. No church has arrived. Maybe there's nothing that we see to change. Maybe there will be two or three things. I don't know. But the fact is, we all should desire change. Let us not fear when change comes. Let us study and believe it in light of God's providence and sovereignty. And let us work for change in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in the world that's God's world. And let us work by whatever means at our disposal. And let us seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you are a God who is long-suffering, who suffers long with us. And we pray that you would give grace to us, that we might be more conformed in our thinking. Give us the freedom, give us the joy, give us the liberty of thinking and living like Jesus did the ultimate person who was most comfortable in his own skin, that we might live that way unto him and for his glory as our Savior and Lord and out of love to him and love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.